Wrestling fans, are you ready? Yes, 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 yes. For the thousands in attendance and the millions watching around the world, uh, let's get ready to rumble! Rent Radio for April 27, 2022. Graham G.S. and Matthews here, as always, being joined by the one, the only, the illustrious Mr. Marceau on the eve, as we speak right now. I mean, this is going up on the day itself, but we're speaking now on the eve of one of the most anticipated days of the year, Mr. Marceau. It is NFL Draft Day. Are you looking forward to it? I, I know you are. That was a dumb question. Oh, I can't fucking wait. I'm going to get, we're going to uh, take out from town, the place that we went to lunch. Oh, okay, the place that we went to, yeah. Yeah, the place that me and you went to for, for lunch that uh, me and Alexis those last two times on St. Patrick's Day. We're going to get town takeout for the draft. It's going to be it's gonna be great. Marshall tradition here. Love the draft. <laughs> Big draft fans. I think maybe next year we'll skip St. Patrick's Day. Maybe we'll come up on draft day instead. <laughs> Book it. Maybe. We'll see. I know we're seeing in a couple of weeks a WrestleMania backlash and Double or Nothing. We're not going to Double or Nothing. You know, it was funny. Um... Alexis yesterday was wearing the AEW shirt that I waited like 40 minutes in line for. I went back in line twice to get us those AEW shirts and then two Double or Nothing shirts. I kept the Double or Nothing shirt. You took both. And then I keep the AEW shirt to Alexis. But she was wearing it yesterday. And I'm like, oh, who got you that shirt? I'm jokingly. And she goes, oh, you did. And I said... Uh, or no, no, even before I said anything, she goes, yeah, it was that uh, trip that you went on without me. I'm like, okay, there's no complaints here. Sorry. You didn't make the cut. Sorry. You didn't, you, hey, sorry. You weren't booked. Sorry. She wasn't booked. What, what match did you You missed like a... What match did you miss? Did you miss like Sammy and Kip Sabian? I think? Literally missed the entire Sammy Kip Sabian match and part of the Battle Royal, yeah. I didn't miss much. <laughs> yeah, I didn't miss the main event or anything, but that was a wild time. I can't wait to be back in Vegas at some point, but before then, like I said, we will be there for WrestleMania Backlash next weekend in Providence. We will do our full preview and predictions next week here on the show for that pay-per-view. Um, a lot less to talk about as far as the wrestling world is concerned from this week. I do want to get your thoughts on Raw and some thoughts from NXT if we have time um, here on the show today. In addition to the big talking point, Becky Lynch's controversial comments regarding AEW's women's division. We just got done talking about the women's division before we hit the record button here. I'm going to get your thoughts on what Becky said about the AEW women's division um, earlier this week in an interview. So we'll talk about that, some notable returns on Raw this week. But since we're not breaking down Dynamite, because like I said, we're recording on Wednesday, works out better scheduling-wise for this week, we're going to replace the AEW Dynamite review with some draft coverage. And we're going to kick off, I I know this is a wrestling show, Mr. Marceau, but I think we should start with some uh, NFL draft day coverage and some predictions here. Yeah, I think that's where we should start. I think that's where we should start, too. Pull up the big board here in a moment. New episodes of the show every single Thursday on WrestleRant.com. WrestleRantRadio.com, Mr. Marceau. Uh, we're also on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Amazon Music, and uh, Spotify. I already mentioned that as well. Um, all of them. Pandora, be sure to rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Never miss an episode every single Thursday. For exclusive content like this or for a wrestling show, you can also hear us talk about the NFL 
draft day coverage. And if you don't want to, if you don't give a shit about it, and why wouldn't you? I mean, come on, it's draft day. Who doesn't care about draft day, Mister Marceau? Yeah, I, I, if you're a football fan, draft day is the, one of the biggest days. If you're going to fast forward 10 minutes here, then I don't know what you're doing. You're listening to the wrong podcast because we're going to be talking about NFL a little bit more regularly here on the show. Um, if only for Mr. Marceau. i got to do my research, but I got the big board pulled up, Mr. Marceau. And I, really what I want to do here is get your thoughts on some of these names, where you think they're going, some of the top picks, and uh, what your overall analysis and, and preview is for some of these top names. Sounds good. Let's hear it. All right. So we got a couple of big free agent draft picks in the draft this year. Round one, round two. Let me just get this straight real quick. So for the top 10, let me just uh, run this by you. Are these the teams that are picking in this order being the Jaguars being first, the Lions, Texans, Jets, Giants? Is that accurate or is that something else? That's accurate. So the Jaguars are picking first. Yeah, they're notoriously the worst team in the NFL. I think I, think I sent you the statistic. They have like... You did. 55 wins since 2010. Great great <laughs> team that Chad Kahn owns. So is, are, is the top 10 really just like some of the worst teams? That's why they're picking first? Yeah, I mean, I'm trying to think. Sometimes like other teams like trade their picks from like previous years. So like usually sometimes maybe a good team will slip in just if they trade with a bad team. But looking at it here, Jaguars, Lions, Texans, Jets, Giants, Panthers. The Giants have another pick in the top 10 because they trade with the Bears. But as you can see, the Bears aren't good either because they were the seventh pick. Mm-hmm. Uh, Falcons, Seahawks, and Jets. So, um, yeah, those are, I would say are probably the worst ten teams. And then, like I said, the Giants have two picks because they got one from Chicago who wasn't good last year, and then the Jets have another pick from Seattle. So, I mean, those are I would say the worst ten teams. Not a, a good team in there. They all have huge holes to fill. Good selection of players to choose from this year compared to past years. You think? Yeah, I think this year is a little bit different than past years. Uh, I mean, a lot of kids did go out to school with COVID. Uh, everyone got a, an extra year of eligibility with, with, with the COVID year. So, I mean, I think this draft class has a lot of depth. Uh, not not too many great prospects, like no top of the class, like surefire prospect here. But uh, they do have a lot of depth. If you look at the uh, overall big positions, they do have a deep depth, depth class. So, Day one selections are always huge, but I think you can see some good value in day two and, and day three as well. Well, in doing my research here, notoriously, I'm the biggest football fan who knows absolutely nothing about football, but in doing my research here for draft day, one name I saw a lot that I want to get your thoughts on, I, I, I might be mispronouncing a lot of these names, by the way, but of Michigan fame, Aiden Hutchinson. Name sound familiar, and where do you think he's going? Yeah, Aiden Hutchinson, He's was consensusly probably the number one pick, uh... Good, good defensive end. He's got good size. Uh, like I said, he was pretty much leading into the draft tomorrow. He was the number one consensus going number one overall. But there have been uh, some rumors that he has been jumped by uh, Georgia's Trayvon Walker. Uh, seems like Jacksonville's general manager really likes his size. He has very a lot of potential. Uh, does Trayvon Walker? Ian Hutchinson. He's a he's a plug and play starter. Um, He'll be a good starter in the league, I believe. But Trayvon Walker, he's he's got a higher ceiling. He, he he's like he's like a young puppy with big paws. Like he's a blue he's chipper. He's got long arms. He's fast. He can move. He's kind of he can do everything. So uh, I mean, he's not as well well tuned and well polished as Aiden Hutchinson is in the pass rushing ability. But I mean, Walker's potential is I would say one of the highest I've ever seen. Now, when you mentioned the Jacksonville GM. Are you talking about the new guy they just appointed recently, or is this the same GM they've had for a while? 
So it's, yeah, it's still Trent Bulky. He, he, I think he was hired with Urban Meyer. Uh, let me just check a quick Wikipedia. Yeah, he started last year with Urban Meyer. Uh, as we know, Urban Meyer was laid off or wished his future endeavors halfway through the 2021 <laughs> season uh, yeah. after that cool scandal with him getting uh, lap dances from thoughts at Ohio State Bar. So, um, Bulky's still there. Uh, they did hire uh, former Eagles and Super Bowl winning coach uh, Doug Peterson, but uh, I, I, I hear Bulky's a big Walker fan, so seemingly will be Trayvon Walker going to pick first overall. Talk to me a little bit about Charles Cross. Name sound familiar? <laughs> kid likes Charles Cross. I like Charles Cross is good. Uh, um, very, very stu- I think he's he's younger, sophomore, red shirt, so still twenty one years old. But out of the other tackles with uh, Iki Aquano and Evan Neal, he's kind of projected as the best pass protector. Um, I mean, Aquano is more versatile. I'd say he can play guard in both tackles. He's more of a run, run, run. Run block guy, he's more of a mauler. Cross, on the other hand, he's more of your traditional uh, pass protector. And Evan Neal, kind of good in both areas. He's more athletic. Mm-hmm. Um, but Charles Cross, I would say he's going to be a solid, solid right or left tackle uh, if, if you're worried about passing. Obviously, got to work on that run blocking, but a solid, solid pass pass protector. Did you just mention Kayvon by any chance? Did you mention him? I did not. I said Icky Aquano, but Kayvon Tim- Kayvon, you, you like Kayvon Thibodeau? Yeah, yeah, of Oregon, right? Yeah, he okay. was uh, another one. I mean, going into 2021 season of college football, he was kind of, before Aiden Hutchinson had a great year, he was the guy. He was the consensus number one overall pick. He very athletic, stops the run great, can rush the passer well. Uh, former number one college recruit coming out of high school so you know he had big big uh fame coming out of high school let alone uh his career at oregon uh only kind of i guess the only kind of knock on him is he's had a couple injuries that maybe he could have played through but just didn't and his drive doesn't doesn't seems like he's more about his brand than actually playing football so mm-hmm. um so he's been sliding down draft boards a little bit i mean his, his talent's there it's just at the end of the day, does he is he is he is he all in or is he all worried about the the image? But uh, I think if he gets his head on straight, I think I think Thibodeau could be a, a Hall of Fame player. I was gonna say, how do you pronounce his last name? Thibodeau. Thibodeau. Is that true? Is that accurate? Uh, that's how I've heard it pronounced. Came Thibodeau. on Thibodeau. Okay, that's what I was curious about because that's I didn't want to botch it by saying it first. So Thibodeau, and then you see it Ekum. What was his last name? Ekum Aquanu. Ikamakwanu. Yes. Right? Okay. Wow. I'm actually getting these. I'm shocked. Wow. You should be proud of me. I'm not great with pronunciation, but yeah, okay. I'm looking on Wikipedia right now. It has it spelled at Tib Do. Tibido. Okay. Right. So you mentioned a lot of the people that I wanted to ask you about before I even had a chance to ask you about them. But one name I think you missed there that I want to get your thoughts on from LSU. You might know where I'm going with this, Mr. Marceau. Derek Stingley Jr. What's his future hold? Derek Stingley Jr., another similar with uh, Thibodeau. I mean, coming out, uh, going into this season, a lot of potential. Pretty much a slam dunk top five pick. Um, his freshman year, he was all SEC. I'm pretty sure he won uh, Defensive Player of the Year that year for, for the SEC. Great first season. And then pretty much his sophomore and junior year, we saw, we saw a lot of fall off there. Um, he just kind of... Got a little bit more hurt. Mm-hmm. Was it, I don't think he played at all last year. 
Um, I don't have to check my notes on that, but he was great in, tw- in 2019 as a freshman. Uh, like I said, he was a consensus All-American uh, first, or looks like for yeah, first team All-SEC. Uh, but last year he did have injuries uh, and just didn't play that often. So I think that it kind of slimmed down the draft board. But if if we get if we see if he can play the way that he played his freshman year, I mean, if he falls out of the top five, someone could get a a really good player. So what does that say about the other players if he's kind of fallen down a little bit? Obviously, the talent's still there. He's still very talented, even though he hasn't had you know great recent stats, if, if I'm accurate here. You can correct me if I'm wrong. But what does that say about everyone else up on the big board, eligible to be drafted this year, if he's not doing as well but he's still considered a top-five pick? Wh- wh- where are they going off of with that? Yeah, I mean, it's just it's it's tough. I mean, it's, it is a lot of – you can't really project injuries. You can't really project – a lot of that stuff. So based off talent, if we're going based off talent alone, I would say Thibodeau and Stingley are top five. But, I mean, they both had some injuries. They both have had some, like, compete issues. So, I mean, it's one of those things. Do you rather have someone that's solid with a lot of potential who loves to play and has, like, never had injuries and has a a good motor compete? Or you want to go with a guy that is more polished and has all the skills now but might be, lacking on the uh, on the drive and maybe fighting through in- injuries. So, I mean, I think that's what you're seeing with the rise of a guy like Trayvon Walker. Um, Sauce Gardner, I mean, he's up there as well. He kind of jumped over uh, Derek Stingley. He's been great at, at Cincinnati. He's been pretty much a lockdown corner uh, since he's been there. And he, even we seen even see Trent McDuffie come up the draft board a little bit. Uh, some people say he, he, he'd be the best slot nickel corner or play outside or safety. I feel like he's very versatile as well. And like I said, showed that drive uh, that Stingley kind of hasn't seen in the last two seasons. So I think that's kind of how the board kind of switches up and down. You, you, you have the talent there, but some other guys that maybe have more potential and they kind of show that they, they've been growing the last couple of years. And you can then kind of project, kind of pre-project where you think they're going with a guy like Thibodeau and Stingley. I think the, the, the talent is there. You're kind of just, kind of not sure of those other things the the mentality mm-hmm. um the drive they can f- fight through injuries these other guys might not be as polished or as as talented right now but they might have more of a consistent career so i think that's where you really see the ups and downs on the on, on the big board yeah well some of those despite some of those buzz despite some of that buzz faltering a little bit obviously he seems to be a top five pick for a lot of people so he seems to be without you know needless to say he's probably going to be the first cornerback taken correct who Stingley. It's close. I think him and Sauce Garner are going to be pretty close. I mean, I've heard rumors that Houston, uh, they're the third pick. That they're pretty, I mean, they pretty much need everything. So I was going to say, I, are they like the top considered pick to take Stingley right now? Uh, I mean, they, they kind of they have so many needs that they're. I wouldn't say that they're definitely in on Stingley, but there's been more buzz lately that they're they're in on a corner. Um, they they really like Stingley as well as Gardner. So. Like I said, it's tough though. It's like, do you go someone that like Stingley? If he if he came out of this freshman year, he would be a top five pick. Okay. But after the last two seasons, you just you don't really know what you're getting. He's like I said, he's been more hurt. Yeah. Showing less compete. I mean, I think both guys are going the top ten. I just it really it really I think the Houston pick will really sway where everything goes because I think Walker and Hutchinson are kind of the consensus one twos. And once Houston goes, like I said, they have so many needs. They could use a tackle. They could use a. They could use another 
defend. They could use a guy like Thibodeau. They could use a guy like Cross and Neal or Quanu or Stingley or Garner. Like, there's so many opportunities at that point. So once they pick, I think you're kind of from the after that you'll see everyone else are kind of fall in place. But um, I, I would say both guys are top down. Well, to take a step back here real quick, we talk about Texans needing a lot of different positions filled, same with the, the Jags just being terrible. Uh, how does the top 10 for the teams compare to like previous years as far as who's been in the top 10 for teams to pick? Yeah, I mean, the Jets, I mean, the Jets, Jags, I would say the Lions, um, they're, uh, they've, they've been pretty much top 10 teams the last probably many, many years. Wow. I mean, some teams are, you get a top 10 pick and they, they kind of figure it out, and then they kind of iron out all the details there. But I'm pretty sure last year, so last year the Jets and the Jaguars were the first. Jaguars were the worst team last year, too. So they're, they're two years in a row. Um, the Jets were in there, uh, Lions, Panthers. Um, so l- last year alone. So last year was Jacksonville, Jets, 49ers. Um, but they got that pick from Houston. So Houston would have been there. Instead, Atlanta. Bengals, Dolphins, Lions, like I said, Panthers, Broncos, and Eagles. So definitely some changes there. Um, but, I mean, like I said, Jaguars, Jaguars, Lions, and Jets are probably, I would say, are the three worst teams, and they've been pretty much bottom barrel. Um, yeah, Jaguars. Yeah, I mean, if you look, I went back to 2019, Lions, Jaguars, uh, and, like I say, Lions, Jaguars, Giants, uh, Panthers, like they've all been kind of in the top ten the last three or four years. Jets were eleven that year, so they're pretty damn close. So those four franchises, I mean, it, it's tough. I understand it. At the end of the day, it is tough. You make, you make basically a, a first round pick. You're, you're, those guys are supposed to be starters, and they're supposed to be good players. And obviously, that never it doesn't always pan out. So you miss on one guy, and you miss, especially if you miss on if you don't have a quarterback. I mean, you know, your big Patrick Mahomes guy. You don't have a good quarterback. <laughs> I mean, you're not really going too far. So, I mean, the Jaguars drafted Trevor Lawrence last year. I mean, he's got a lot of upside. Jets drafted Zach Wilson last year. He's got a lot of upside. Lions, uh, they moved on from Stafford, who then went to the Rams and won a Super Bowl, and they're still kind of spinning their wheels there as well. And the Giants drafted Daniel Jones back in 2019, and he's not really been their guy. So, at the end of the day, quarterback, it is a quarterback league. You kind of win and die by that, and – if you can't figure it out, you'll just kind of be a bottom-of-the-barrel team. Well, moving down the list a little bit, we talked about top five picks, kind of the surefire picks to go in the top five, top ten. Want to talk a little bit about the top 15, someone that was one of the best considered, one of the best all-around linebackers in the league. Talking about Devin Lloyd, uh, someone who had the most wins above replacement in the league, also thriving as a defender, pass rusher, and in coverage as well. Seems like his name has popped up a lot in a lot of the research I've done. Talking about the draft for tomorrow. What is his prospect and uh, future hold, and where do you think he should end up? Devin Lloyd's great. I think he's a solid linebacker. I mean, I think he can play all three positions as a linebacker. Um, he's going to be more of a pass. He's not going to really rush the passer. But, I mean, he's a pretty good blitzer as well. Um, with Lloyd, I, I kind of, I'll kind of pair him with the Kobe Dean. They're they're kind of the consensus one-two linebackers. It's kind of tough with this specific class. Um, I mean, I've seen them go as high as 15 in the top 15 or 15 to 20 to out of the first round. So it, it really depends for those two guys just kind of where teams position them and the other needs that are there. I mean, 
Like I said, I've seen Lloyd and Dean get picked, like kind of projected in the, the 15 to 20 range, 20 to 32, and I've even seen them in the second round. So it just depends on how everything goes, how all the – I mean, the edge class is pretty good. Mm-hmm. Receivers is pretty solid as well with the cornerback class as well. So it really just depends on how good a team – how much a team loves that specific person and kind of where it all falls. I mean – it's so hard to project, and you can't really tell who's going to pick who. It's a, it kind of you kind of see the dominoes start falling. But guys, whoever picks Lloyd and, and Dean, they're going to get a really good player. Well, going from one of the best linebackers to someone considered one of the top best wide receivers there is, and he could be one of the best. One of the first taken is my question for you. I think the odds are you know projecting that he's going to be the first wide receiver taken in the draft. Talking about Jamison Williams, thoughts on his work. Do you agree with that? Do you think he will be the first wide receiver drafted in this year's draft? Jamison Williams is great. I mean, Ohio State transferred Alabama last year. He had an amazing season. Uh, obviously, towards I think it was his ACL or Achilles mm. in the national championship. Go dogs! Um, <laughs> Georgia Bulldogs. Spank Bama. Ugh, I got my Georgia. I got my championship sweatshirt on right now. Love so. it. Wasn't that a couple of months ago? I remember us talking about it was, that. It was. It was uh, January. 8th or 9th or 10th, those around there. Was like yeah, the yeah. Right, so, uh, but yeah, he, I mean, he, he was a transfer from Iowa State, had a great year. Like I said, he got injured. It's tough for this receivers class. I mean, I think him and him, Garrett Wilson, I mean, Drake London as well. I actually really like Chris Olave as well from Iowa State. But, I mean, a lot of people like Drake London. I'm not a huge fan of his. I mean, uh, I think Wilson, Williams, and Olave are better. But it's just kind of... I guess you got to see. I mean, I, I, I think if I was a betting man, I would say London or Wilson would go before him um, just because I maybe just maybe the injury is a little scary just coming off an ACL. Um, but, I mean, I think Williams is going to be a, a stretch-the-field guy. He's very fast and versatile. I'm, I think whoever drafts him, maybe in the mid-teens, will get a, a solid receiver for the next five to ten years. Well, you may have mentioned these guys before. You're throwing a lot of names at me, so I apologize if I, I had missed it if you had mentioned it. But being a Bulldogs fan, how familiar are you with the likes of Nicobe Dean, Jordan Davis, and what are your thoughts on them being eligible to be drafted this year? Yeah, I just said Nicobe Dean. Okay. Uh, I, I, him and Lloyd, like I said, are kind of like the consensus one-two. Yeah. Jordan Davis is just an absolute moose. I mean, guys like 6'6", 350, can move like a cat. Uh I mean, his, his pro day just basically solidified him as a top, top guy. Um, he's been great. I mean, I think the only kind of, I don't know, knock or question on him, he's he kind of more of a nose tackle, but I, I'm assuming teams are trying to make him more of a, a, a defensive tackle, maybe depending on his weight. I mean, that's something that they're going to have to definitely manage. But he, he, he's a freakish athlete, especially with his size. Dean's great. Um I mean, Devontae Wyatt's another one. I mean, they, they had kind of an older – a lot of their seniors, as you can see, Wyatt and Davis. I think Walker's a junior. But they had a lot of guys stay to their senior year. Usually most kids, they kind of leave. Usually they're a sophomore, redshirt, and a junior just because mm-hmm. they want to go, go get that money. But they stayed another year to kind of win a national championship, and that's what they have. That's what they got. And, I mean, they even had Jermaine Johnson. I don't know if you see him on there. Jermaine Johnson was on Georgia in 2020. 2021 and he, he he transferred to florida state to kind of play more and okay. uh, he actually kind of had a breakout season and he's kind of in the top 10 as well so georgia's defense i mean 
they, I wouldn't be surprised if they had five to six guys draft in the first round just from that defense alone. I mean, they're a pretty stacked team, so we'll see. How much pride does it bring you to see someone from the dogs get drafted to the NFL and be on a team that you're either already a fan of, that you're not a fan of, whatever, but after watching their careers kind of rise through college football? Oh, it's great. I love it. I mean, obviously they all pan out, but I always love seeing a dog make it to the NFL and uh, see success. Who's one of the more bigger success stories from the dogs specifically that you can remember? Uh, Nick, I mean, Nick Chubb. Uh, I don't know if that name rings a bell. Nick but Chubb, is that his name? Nick Chubb, that is his name. <laughs> Get your head out of the gutter, guy. <laughs> He's uh he play, he's a uh, running back for the Browns. He's been pretty good. Um, McCole Hardman, you should know him. He's on the Chiefs. Of course. <laughs> <laughs> I've got the jersey right behind me, brother. <laughs> it's in the watch. Uh, I mean, they've, they've, like I said, late like the last probably five to ten years, they've they've pumped in a ton of kids, so. I mean, those are the two off the top. I was a huge Todd Gurley guy. That's basically why I started becoming a fan of Georgia. Mm-hmm. He went to the NFL. He kind of, unfortunately, had a lot of knee injuries and kind of phased out of the NFL too quickly. But love him. A.J. Green. Don't know if that name rings a bell. Probably not. He, he, he was a good dog. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, DeAndre Swift. I mean, they had so many good players the last couple of years. So a lot of linemen that people probably wouldn't know about. But I would say off the top of my head, Chubb, Swift. Hardman, those are just three, just a rip off the bat. But I mean, they've they've had some pretty solid teams since Kirby Smart took over. Roquan Smith as well. So yeah, I mean, the last five years they've had a really really solid team. So they've they've seen a lot more NFL production than than they normally did. Well, kind of going off that for a second, you mentioned the Dogs and how they've had a great team for the last five years. Do you think that? I mean, this kind of answers my question based off what you just said. How are they able to replenish the pot? Are they always able to do that, losing this top talent and, and making up for it with new starters and stuff like that? Like, do you foresee another successful season coming out of this? Yeah, I mean, they, it's it's like them, the Alabamas, Clemson, Ohio State's, the schools. Like, at this point, they're pretty much solidified as top tier schools. So all they really do is recruit five star athlete. Like every kid they get are they usually are the ones that get the best kids coming out of high school so obviously not every five star pans out but i mean you get a lot of good kids in there and you kind of just re- that's how you kind of replenish the pie you replace a five star with a five star or four star with a four star and mm-hmm. kind of that's basically how you do it i mean georgia specifically um i mean their defense has pretty much since kirby smart got there their defense has been pretty good and they've just they use a lot of guys too so I think one thing that's helped them over the last couple of years when they've lost like a lot of defenders, they, they they move in and out a lot of players as well. So it's like you're not just this year, like they're not going to have a lot of kids coming in that this is the first time they've ever played in like college. Like they've at least seen some time that like they've been certain packages and stuff like that. So they've seen the field a lot more than most other kids would. So I think that's what's helped them more defensively is they, they use a lot of different – like I think last year they used like – 30 different kids on defense so it's like you're, you're moving you're moving a lot of bodies in and out so they're getting that experience obviously this year they'd probably get more of a a starting position but mm-hmm. i mean you're gonna have other kids kind of coming in and out and they're pretty good at matching up and putting in different 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 athletes so that's basically how they just do it. i mean like alabama since i mean it's basically alabama since nick saban's been there i mean they've been dominant since he's been there and i don't know what's that been that since 20 i think he got there 2008 
That's wow. an offhand guess. So, I mean, they've been the top tier program since he's gotten there. Uh, let me just confirm that. Yep, 2007. He's got six national championships since then. I mean, they've been a solidified powerhouse since he's been there. Like I said, they've just <laughs> all they've done is recruit the top tier kids, and they've they have not lost the beat really. Wow, sounds like the William Regal of football. <laughs> he's he's probably the best of all time. Wow, I don't know. that's crazy. He's, he's up there. That's amazing. As we wind down here, Mr. Marceau, with draft coverage here, going back from the Bulldogs to the actual draft coverage of the entire NFL, another name that I had seen pop up that some people were expecting to be a bit of a breakout star in wrestling terms this season, someone that could be a nice steal in the middle of the draft, and depending what round that might be. Uh, a name named, what was the name here I got written down? Zachary something. Oh my God, I don't have the name in front of me anymore. I, I missed it. Zachary, does that? he was from Florida. Does that ring any bells? Zachary? I don't even know the fuck you're talking about. Zachary. Oh, my God. It's going to bother me now. I don't even. Oh, my God. Um, Florida? Zachary Carter. No idea who that is. From Florida. Come on. He could be. I'm, I'm hearing that he could be. A, you, you don't know who that is from Florida. No, I do not. Wow. Okay. Well, I'm going to have to move on from that one. Maybe I'll have to do some more <laughs> research. I thought you were. I, I thought you were the guy that knows everything. I guess not, though. I don't know who the fuck that is. Zachary okay. Carter? Well, I'm here. I, mean, I, mean, I see him here. It says he's the 100th, 100th ranked prospect. Never heard of him, though. Do you think he could be a good steal from what you're seeing right now? No, because he went to Florida. Fuck, fuck Florida. <laughs> so you mentioned, by the way, I'm going back and forth with the Bulldog stuff, but you said that someone got treated or left the school and went to Florida. Do you feel betrayed when you see stuff like that, or is it just business as usual? Yeah, I, I do. I mean, there was a kid that from Georgia and the, who was a receiver, transferred from, after winning the national championship, transferred from Georgia to go to Alabama. After they just beat Bama. Like, that's, <laughs> that's, it happened. I read one thing about college football that I, I kind of lost my interest a little bit because they used to, obviously, you used to have to draft. You used to, once, usually before if you transferred, if you, especially if you transferred into in conference, you'd have to sit out for, I think in conference was two years and then in football one. So it's like, say that you wanted to go to Florida and then after your freshman or summer year, you're like, you know, it's just not working out. Yeah. But then if you want to go to Florida state, then you'd have to sit out a season. So it's like, it kind of would, it kind of make transferring not happen as often because you wouldn't want to have to sit out a year. But then they changed the rule, and now you can basically transfer and then go to a different school and start playing. So now, like, basically college football now kind of has their own free agency because technically you could be on Florida and say, you know what, I don't want to be in Florida anymore. And then another school would be like, yeah, come here. And then they'll just go right there to start playing. So, like I said, a kid from Georgia was one of their starting receivers just after the national championship. So it's like, oh, yeah, I'm going to transfer and went to Alabama. So To the team they just beat. The team they just beat, yep. <laughs> Because he, I mean, I kind of get it in an aspect like Alabama is a more passing team and Georgia's more run, known for running the ball. So, like, I mean, for, if you're worried about your own brand and your own kind of career, yeah, I, I would say for a receiver going to Bama is probably a better, a better option. But I don't know. I just feel like you just beat them. I mean, I don't know. I, it's stuff like that that kind of bothers me. Like a couple of years or last year, they had a quarterback, I don't know if this name rings a bell, I got drafted, Justin Fields. Does that name ring a bell at all? Slightly. Probably. I think we've discussed them before, actually. He was at Georgia, and then he wasn't going to play, so he transferred and went to Ohio State. Then he got drafted last season uh, by the Bears. So, like, 
he was at Georgia. He played a little bit and then transferred to Iowa State, had a great year, and then left. So, I mean, him is not as bad because I kind of understand certain scenarios. But if you if you transfer to like a rival, that's I just that's that's just like <laughs> and that pisses off. you off. Get the knife out of my back. <laughs> As we wind down here, Mr. Marceau, spending a lot more time than I thought we would on the NFL Draft Day coverage, but it's a big deal. We don't talk about football ordinarily here on the show, so it was a nice change of pace, and we should probably do this more often, especially as the Super Bowl nears for next year and whatnot, and predictions for that and whatever. But anyway, so as far as the draft is concerned, any other overall thoughts regarding potential picks, what you're looking forward to seeing, and stuff like that? Yeah, I mean, I think the one surprise or the one thing I'm looking forward to most, usually quarterbacks very top-heavy, usually first couple picks but this class is kind of being seen as a, a weaker class so honestly I'm very interested to see where the quarterbacks go I mean some people have someone going as early as Detroit or some people later in the first round or not even to the second round so I'm very interested to see what happens with the quarterback class I, I, I don't hate it as much as other people do I mean every year you're going to have the, the people that say that they're, they're, they can't miss prospects and they go to the NFL and they just never pan out and I think this class is more pretty solid players nothing like no one has like generational talent really i mean malik willis from liberty probably has the most kind of upside i mean i i prefer kenny pickett or matt corral um but i mean the quarterbacks usually go like i said top five here's a couple of them this year we, we might not, we might only get one in the first round we might get none it's it's kind of a weird class that is weird. I mean, I'm, I'm excited to see how it pans out. This is going to be one of my first times watching it live. I know we watched it live. I offered some live tweeting thoughts uh, two years ago when I watched during the 2020 draft. And that was a bit different, though. That was during COVID. It was right after COVID kind of started here in the U.S. So it was, uh, it was a bit formatted slightly different than usual from what I can understand. So I'm looking forward to watching, sharing our thoughts over text and tweets and, and stuff like that. Last question for you. Can you give me one final Draft day jingle. Can you give me that draft day jingle? Because I love the noise of it. I love the sound of it. I love the draft. <laughs> that sounds like it'd be a great ringtone. It is. It's great. I love it. It's second only to the old WWE draft music. It goes da 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 or whatever the fuck it was. Yeah, it's good. Uh, I like the draft. Yeah. Looking forward to it. So, Mr. Marceau, we have a lot to discuss tomorrow or as far today as this airs, but tomorrow as we record this on Wednesday. Um, hence why we spend the first half of the show talking about the draft day here today. But that makes my job a whole lot easier as we discuss Raw from Monday, which that was an overall episode, an overall enjoyable episode in my opinion. I know you would agree. Not that the show is the greatest anywhere in the world right now, but by recent Raw standards, and I say this a lot, it's been a solid show. This week we had the focus on the 20-year anniversary of Randy Orton's debut to the day. 20 years from Monday exactly. Randy Orton debuting on the main roster, on SmackDown specifically, beating Hardcore Holly, so... The show was all about that, celebrating 20 years of RKO, uh, leading to that great eight-man tag team match in the main event. Uh, we talked a lot about Randy Orton last week, gave our favorite moments, matches, and and the like when it regards in, in regards to Randy Orton. But your thoughts and the overall focus this week being on Randy Orton and offering that good feel-good ending to the show with him reigning supreme in the eight-man tag team match main event. Yeah, I like to see it. I mean, like you said, Randy, 20 years in the, in the company. I thought the vignette they played from the video package was great. Uh, Fantastic, went through, yeah. Went through his whole career. It was honestly crazy to see how young he was at, at the beginning. Like you said, that, that debut match against Hardcore Holly to where he is now. No tattoos, really, in that in that picture. Now he's covered. So now with the beard, and you definitely see the aging. So, uh, I mean, I think we always knew that he had the talent from the beginning or 
kind of the beginning part of his career just kind of was always ladled with injuries. I mean, he was always hard, I felt like, in the beginning uh, of his career, especially with the, the shoulder injuries. But, uh, no, I, I would say people – Randy Orton's just kind of a special case. I mean, I think I've always liked him. I mean, there are plenty of times that people just could care less about him. I mean, I remember when he won the title and was it 2020, and people just sat on their hands. So, um, I mean, there was no then, one there, but I know what you mean. Yeah, I mean, I, I just feel like people are like, oh, why would you take the belt off Drew? Randy Orton's not that good. And he was, like, hot as hell, and then they put him on it when he, like, he was starting to cool off. So, yeah, I mean, he's always, like I said, always been a better heel than Babyface. I think this run with Riddle's been amazing, though. Like, he, he's been saying it. He's It's probably one of his favorite parts of his career. And, I mean, they, they're, they're probably, besides Roman, they're, like, the best thing going in WWE. So, um, there's nothing really to complain about. The match itself, I loved how they brought Cody out kind of reference that they were friends obviously with the legacy big fan of legacy mm-hmm. i was there in 2009 randy won the belt great great time 13 years ago yesterday mr marcel great stuff love it so uh yeah I, I think bringing cody out was great and then like you said that that that's that uh eight-man tag was was a great way to end the show and him RKOing everyone it was amazing I feel like i was thinking about this and i was talking about it during my during hashtag when i was recording it earlier but I feel like Backlash is becoming the Orton show. I mean, for he beat Edge in that great match two years ago, the greatest wrestling match ever or whatever. Won the WWE Championship at Backlash 2009. Uh, he, he lost the WWE title to Jinder at Backlash five years ago, but he was in the main event that night. I, I feel like between all of that and him and RK Bro facing the Usos for the tag team titles unification match at this year's show, Backlash is like quietly becoming the Randy Orton pay-per-view over the last number of years, actually. Yeah, I mean, it really has. I mean, he's. I feel like he's always synonymous with Survivor Series, like the beginning of his career. Of course, like a, like a thousand times. So, I mean, that was definitely. I, I I think that was one of his stronger shows. I mean, SummerSlam, he's seen a lot of success as well. Um, he's won the WWE, won the World Heavyweight Championship there. Beat Brian there as well. Um, I mean, he's probably had plenty of big time matches there. I just can't think off the top of my head, but those two title wins uh, alone kind of come to mind right away. So. He, he's had a great career, I mean, 20 years, and I think lately he's just worked smarter, and definitely, I think I said he's been a lot less injured lately, and I think he's done the best work of his career in the last couple of years. No, I've been digging it. He's been doing great work, and I'm looking forward to seeing what he and Riddle can do next, as we discussed last week in their future as RK-Bro. Um, but that wasn't the only thing worth noting from Monday's Raw. We also had not one, but two big notable returns that were rumored in advance, but still cool moments to see nonetheless. Um, including Asuka coming back for the first time in almost nine months. I had read somewhere that we hadn't seen her on the show. I thought it was like August, but apparently she hasn't wrestled, according to someone, since Money in the Bank, which was only their second show back on the road, and that was in mid-July of last year. So over nine months gone, she was injured for a while. I believe a shoulder injury. I don't know how long she's been cleared for, but she came back on Monday confronting the also-returning Becky Lynch in a... uh, fine segment, so Asuka is back, getting the biggest reaction than anything else on the entire show, and it kind of served its purpose in rekindling that rivalry, giving Becky something to do outside of the title picture, giving Asuka her first feud upon returning. This was good, they've always worked well together, I'm not a fan of Asuka going back to the goofy, dancing bullshit character that that she was doing before, I've always felt like I'm in the minority on that, a lot of people seem to dig it, they loved it during the pandemic era, I thought it was fucking terrible. But I want to get your thoughts on the long-awaited return of Asuka to the Raw roster, how much it helps that women's division, and what you see her future kind of uh, consisting of now that she's going back to, unfortunately not her roots, but the same character she was doing before she left. Yeah, I like Asuka. I mean, she did good. I I think we just 
I guess then we were, we were texting about it. We kind of just missed over the fact she did have an amazing pop. I mean, her music hit, and the, I mean the crowd was up for that. So good for her. I mean, I think the crowd does care for her. I mean, she's a she's done everything. I mean, she's won every kind of accolade you could possibly have in WWE. And I was great to see her come back. But once she started doing, like you said, the goofy screaming and pandering and just dancing and stuff, it just not, that's not the Oscar that I like. I like the the, the NXT badass Oscar. I mean. I mean, obviously, when she's a babyface, she's not going to have that same demeanor, but she can still be a good person, still be serious. I mean, the whole goofiness, I'm just, I'm completely out on. But like you said, her and Lynch have have history. I mean, Becky left, and she got the belt from Becky, so kind of tying up those loose ends there because they haven't really crossed paths since then. So I do like that, but less goofy, the Oscar, the better. So do we get the match between them at WrestleMania Backlash, or is this just a TV feud, you think, for now? Oh, I don't know. I mean, I I would say TV feud for now. I mean, the, the show was in a week. I'd, I'd be surprised if they just kind of rushed it then. But, uh, I mean, I want to see Becky, so I, I'm down for it to be there. But You can have the shirt uh, by that point. Yeah, I don't know. I think they should wait. I, I, I think it would be kind of a rush if they did it there. But, I mean, I also don't know everything advertised. So, um, if needed, they can put it there. But, I mean, I think they, they could have a nice TV feud. I, I think I'll say this. It depends on if they do, if they do that match on the show. It really depends what they do. If they do live and re on that show, or do they do Becky and Oscar? So mm-hmm. I think you have to pick one or the other. I mean, live and re, I would say is probably more of a TV feud. But I mean, I I'd be fine either way. We could have a lot of different women's matches on that show. They did Bianca and Sonya on Raw this week. Do you think we get a rematch at the pay per view, or is that over? It's interesting. I. I don't know. I, I, I mean, she beat her clean as a sheet. I mean, obviously she's an authority figure, but I mean, Adam Pierce seemed to be against her on that. So, yeah, I think we could maybe do something. Maybe we have some kind of like foolishness, and I don't know. Maybe have Car- I mean, Carmel and Zelina were involved. So maybe we get something with them as well. I don't really. I don't know. Maybe you get something there, but I, I would kind of stick away from that. I mean, Sonya lost clean as a sheet. She doesn't really have a, a hill to die on. So the interesting thing is that we're getting this feud now with Becky and Asuka. Do you think they're priming Asuka to eventually contend for that Raw Women's Championship? And in my opinion is that I think they should. I think we're going to get Becky and Bianca again at some point, regardless of whether the roles are reversed or whatever the case might be. Babyface versus Babyface, actually, instead of the first time where Becky turned heel during that match, seemingly, apparently, they told us. But anyway, so I, I would save that for later down the road. Maybe it's SummerSlam again or something like that. You could do it inside Hell in the Cell. I don't know if it would be overly effective to have Asuka be brought back to a pop like that and then have her lose. And I wouldn't have an issue with Becky losing. I think she's kind of bulletproof at this point. She's barely lost in the last three years. I think it's time to kind of help her use her to elevate other women. Not that Asuka isn't already at that level. I mean, she's won everything there is to win, as you mentioned. But I don't know. She's one of those weird cases where she's not on the same echelon as the other four horsewomen. So having her beat Becky on a stage like Backlash around Raw or whatever would be big for her. So I think Asuka should be next in line for a title shot, regardless of whether it's at Backlash or at the pay-per-view after that or whatever. I think a Bel Air and Asuka feud is probably the biggest feud that you can do with Asuka that we haven't seen yet on the main roster. Yeah, I completely agree. Like you said, I think Becky at this point is bulletproof. If anything, you can have her lose again, and she kind of spirals more out of control. Like she yeah. lose for years. She comes, she loses two matches in a row. She kind of, kind of, kind of focus back in, switch her game up a little bit. So, like you said, her Charlotte, 
even Sasha at this point. I honestly think Oscar at this point, meh, maybe not her as well. I think those three are pretty much bulletproof at this point. I mean, they can lose, and I don't think anything's going to really change with their career. I think they're kind of made at this point. So I think if you're going to have Oscar contend for the belt, yeah, I would have her beat Becky. Yeah, that's that's probably what I would do as well. I think it would make the most sense. But while we're on the subject of Becky Lynch, we can't ignore this, obviously. It didn't happen on Raw, but it was a huge talking point on social media um, this past week. Becky Lynch did an interview, I think earlier this week, late last week. I don't have the outlet name written here in front of me. Um, it was actually speaking with uh, Drew Garbo, live featured, cut of the day. I think it was like an e- or the Bone radio show or something like that. She basically said, um, the full quote is this. This is what she said as far as when she was asked about why they ask about AEW's women's division. I mean, I, I don't know. They-, they like to make headlines. I'm not a big fan of that myself, but... Anyway, she was asked about AEW's women's division, and she said this. She said, I wish I could say yes, but unfortunately, I don't know what she was asked specifically, but she goes, I wish I could say yes, but unfortunately, I don't think they are represented the way that we are. They don't get as much time as we get, and frankly, they're not as good as we are. Um, She asked, you know, answering in character, which we all kind of figured, blah, blah, blah. She continued saying, we have certainly on Raw, we have the best women's division in the world. I say that without any hesitation in my voice. We have the best women's division in the world. Competition is great, and it's great for there to be another place. And I have a very good friend, Ruby Soho, over there, and I would love to see her as a champion one day. I would love to see her get get the spotlight she deserves. Competition is always great. Over here, we're on another level. So, you're a big Becky fan. I I assume you're going to agree with her automatically. But, I mean, listen, I think she's right. I think if you break down the quote of what she's saying, I think she's right and she's wrong. Do they have the best women's division in the world? No, I don't think so. Do they even have the best women's division in the country? Debatable. As an overall company, maybe, Raw alone, absolutely not. I mean... Any fucking women's division with Dana Brooke and Tamina in it is not the best in the world, I'm sorry. But if she's talking about WWE in the whole, maybe. Um, There is Impact, there is still AEW among other promotions, but I don't know about that. But talking about the first part of the quote that really got people riled up, um, that she doesn't think they're represented the same way in AEW as they are in WWE, they don't get as much time, and that they're not as good as the WWE women. So let's break this down here before we get to the whole best in the world conversation as far as best women's division. I'll ask you three straight questions here, Mr. Marceau. We can elaborate here, but she was she was saying she doesn't think they're represented the same way in AEW as they are in WWE. Would you agree with that? Would you disagree with that? And why? I would agree with that, and it's because they normally get maybe one segment, and that's a seg- that's a segment on Dynamite. We haven't seen Thunder Rosa in a match in forever. She's been on TV for three minutes since she's won the belt. Ruby Soho, couldn't tell you the last time I saw her. I mean, Britt Baker, since she's lost the belt, I mean, I think she was on Rampage last week, but, I mean, I, I think that, I mean, if you're mad at that, you're just a, a mark at that point. It's it's the truth. So that kind of answers the question about how much time they get, which I would agree. The WWE women, for the most part, do get more time. As far as how they're represented, though, I interpret that as the WWE women are presented and represented as more, as bigger deals than they are in AEW. And then that kind of goes along with the lack of time thing. But would you agree with that as well? I would. I just I feel th- like, yeah, no, sorry, go I, ahead. I think that their women are more prominent on their show and seem that like they're more equal to or greater than the men than in AEW. 
Another thing to, I, was telling, I was telling you before, I think the women are booked to be bigger stars than the men are. And they, I think they are. In, in WWE, yeah. Yes. I think there's a much better chance that a match like with beyond, I mean, Charlotte and Ronda almost main event in Mania had an up in for Stone Cold's return, which it wasn't main event worthy, but listen, that was going to main event the show. That was their biggest show of the year. You also had Char- Becky and Bianca, which you could also make an argument for being a main event of one of the nights of WrestleMania this year, and it wasn't, but it could have been. So, with that being said, I I can't honestly tell you at any point in the last three years, and WWE has a lot more on AEW as far as how long they've been around and how established these women are, Um, but I I can't tell you a single instance, aside from maybe a revolution with with Baker and Rosa before the feud kind of cooled off, where the women should have main evented a pay-per-view. And that's not because they're not talented, that's just because AEW rather doesn't present them as big deals. I completely agree. And the last part of the question, they're not as good as the WWE women's division. That, I feel like, is way more subjective. Could be correct. I would agree with that. But, I mean, it's definitely more debatable, though. What about what about you? What, what would you say? Yeah, I think it's more debatable. I mean, if you're just going based on Raw, I mean, I think Raw, I mean, like I said, I, I mean, I feel like Asuka and, and, I mean, Becky alone, more people know who she is than probably all the women in AEW combined on a, on a normal person just alone. Um, but, I mean... They also, like I said, they also they are just more established as well. So I guess you can go off that aspect that they've been around as long too. But I mean, I mean, as a company, I mean, I think you have more star-made women than than any other company in the world. I mean, I mean, Charlotte, Becky, and Sasha alone are probably more 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 people know who they are than probably most men in all of those other big companies. So I mean, I think I agree on that aspect. Are they the best division? Raw singularly, I don't believe that. I mean, I think they have some good people, but I think WWE alone, like, they have as many women stars as they do as men, and they're the biggest company. So I think, at least women's wise, overall, I would say they have the most stars. I don't know if you'd say the, like, how do you, then at that point, how do you define the best? I mean, I, I would say that they have their top stars, all amazing wrestlers. So that's like, okay, but they also have, like, bigger reach than just wrestling which most of these other companies like they're just strictly just good women's wrestlers like charlotte and sasha and and i'm back here like kind of on a different like stratosphere yeah no they are i that is it's all about the definition of the word because are they better wrestlers than a lot of the women elsewhere in the world even in AEW? no honestly i don't think they are but are they bigger stars with how they're represented yeah and i do think wwe and i talked more about this in depth on uh on hashtag from Wednesday, but WWE has their own issues with their women's division as far as what they can improve. Um, I'm digging some of the stuff I'm seeing on some of the rosters. I mean, we just spoke right before we went live here about the SmackDown women's division and how much help you feel that division needs, you know? Yeah, no, I get it. Yeah, I mean, like I said, I don't think it's the best, but I think they have the biggest stars. So like I said, at that point, do you say, how do you define the best? Yeah. No, for sure. It was an interesting quote. I think the tribalism shit has got to end, though. I feel like we just got to talk about it for what it is as far as, is she wrong? No, but I would you agree she probably said the shit in character while also having a hint of truth to it? Yeah, I mean, I think if she's in character, obviously she's going to downgrade it. But I mean, I don't think she said what she said was, like, malicious. No, not at all. I, I, I think people get so, like, butthurt. I think the thing that got them people mad was she said that they were better. And I think people, whenever you say you're better, people are just going to get mad regardless. I think some people misinterpreted the two. Um, first of all, I think it was the interviewer's fault for asking her about it, not necessarily her answering the fucking question. I mean, I don't really know what people expect. I mean, what, is she going to put them over as far as having a better division? Like, what do you expect? 
Um, I'd have to listen to the actual interview, but she she said that th- she didn't say that they're not good. She literally said the quote is they're not as good as we are. So they could be like great. They could be at like let's say ninety five, and AEW could be at ninety three. That's that's really what she's saying. She's not saying they're terrible, right? I mean, she really, she really just said that they're inferior. She didn't say how much worse they are than WWE's women's division. She just said they are stronger overall, which I would agree with. I feel like the AEW women's division, they, both divisions need help overall. With AEW, I would like to see more storylines, which they were doing for a while before Hirsch got hurt and before Rosa won the belt, because now that they were doing Rosa and Rose for a while, then no one cared about. Um, I just feel like women's division, the women's wrestling overall in WWE and AEW could use some more focus. I mean, even in WWE, we're getting some good stuff, but I feel like it's not as hot as it was heading into like Evolution, for example, and it hasn't been quite the same since. Yeah, I agree. I, like you said, I, I don't think. Like you said, I don't think she said anything that was like malicious in there. Like, no. like you said, she even mentioned Ruby, Ruby Soho by name, saying that she's a she's friends with her and she hopes it's the same opportunities that that, that they're getting. So I mean, I, I I mean, I don't know. I don't think she said anything that was wrong. So if anyone like, I don't understand how people can get really mad by what she said. I think if anything, she was trying to prop them up and saying that she hopes that they get more time so they they are, are looked at the same way as they are, but. I think this article left out the quote where Becky said that she hopes Ruby Soho can get out of dark duty. Yeah, seriously, the runaways run away. I haven't seen her. Yeah, I know. Well, she did qualify for the Owens Hart Cup for the women uh, about a week ago, but still. Uh, yeah, I know. I would like to see more of the women in AEW TV, just make them more of a focal point of the show. I mean, that one women's match we had a couple of weeks ago between Marina Shafir and Sky Blue was just abysmal. Um so I, I would like to see more women on the show. And for WWE, they just got to build more women stars because they have the four horsewomen, dude. But I feel like in Bianca, they nailed and Rhea's doing great. They got to make up more than that because if Sasha goes to Hollywood or Charlotte gets too big for the company and she leaves or even Becky, they got to have, they got to, or people go down with injuries like Bailey. They got to have people to fill those roles for when they're not there. Yeah, I agree. I think they've hit the, I think they hit the, the, the jackpot with, with Bianca though, so yeah. I mean, I think she's basically almost at that four horsewoman status, honestly. And I mean, Oscar's proven they can figure out Alexa Bliss. I mean, she's done a lot. I think she's a a good veteran or someone that they could have in there as well. And like I said, you can definitely build up some more people. I think Liv was kind of kind of teeter on that territory. Rhea's, I would say, is on the up and coming. I mean, I, th- I think they have the. I think if they all went down, I think they'd be able to figure it out. I think they have enough talented women that they'd be able to fill the hole, but I mean, Bianca being kind of becoming the star that she is now, I mean, that definitely helps. Yeah, no, they definitely are doing better than they have in years past in creating Bianca and, and Rhea's doing well and she's over. So they got to make more than two new stars, but I mean, it is better than nobody. So hopefully they can continue on that trend and hopefully some of the women in NXT currently have potential as well. I think they do have potential, but if they can follow through with that potential and actually using them correctly, people like Cora Jade and Roxanne Perez and people like that, then the future of their women's division should hopefully be in good hands. Um, as we wind down here, Mr. Marceau, one final thing from Raw before we call it a day. The return of Mustafa Ali. We haven't seen him on WWE TV in many months. Um, it's been well documented. We discussed it before that he requested his release back in January publicly on Twitter. They did not grant the release. Um, he tweeted about them asking him to be in the Rumble, and he said no. And It's been kind of radio silence since then, although he has been active on social media. All of a sudden, he's back on Raw. I mean, he was drafted to SmackDown in October, but I guess they felt like I guess they felt like Raw needed him more, even though SmackDown has no stars. Not that Ali's going to be a game changer, but I don't know. I just feel like SmackDown might be a better fit at this point. But he was brought back to Raw on Monday, confronted the Miz, and 
essentially set his sights in the United States Championship, beat Miz, and was attacked by Ciampa. So a lot going on with Ali for a guy that seemed to be on the outs of the company even a week ago. Not that he still doesn't want out, I'm sure he does, but at least they're actually using him, you know? I mean, I think it's bullshit that they had nothing to do for him and they wouldn't let him go. I think that's dumb. Although I know he signed a contract and he should be there until it's over um, if they're going to use him. That's the thing, but they weren't using him until now. So at least they're finally using him. And I thought this was a good way to bring him back. If you're going to make the most of the time that he has for right now, I thought this was a nice way of doing it. Yeah, I mean, I think at the end of the day, it's nice to see him come back. I'm 100% on your side. You signed a contract. I mean, obviously not everything works out, but I mean, it is what it is. You're still getting paid. It's not like he's not getting paid. So, yeah. But it was nice to see him come back uh, against the Miz. Like you said, kind of weird. Then he got tagged by Champa. So we'll see here. But like you said, someone that was seemingly on the outs, uh, kind of back on the fold. So it was nice to see him back. I think he's. A good little solid hand there, um, and I, I'm interested to see what they do with him and Champa next. Yeah, no, I'm very curious to see where this goes from here. I mean, they have Champa, who is just Champa, by the way. Did you see that he's not Tommaso anymore? Yes. Yeah, no, he's just Champa now. So, do you think this? I've been asked this a lot too. Do you think this return run for Ali will be used to get someone over like a theory before they ultimately let Ali go during the next round of budget cuts, and he might get Champa over or whatever? Or do you think he might actually have a sustained push? which he didn't get when he came back with Retribution or when he came back a couple of years ago on Raw. Like, do you think this time is different or no? I don't. I think he'll probably be brought in, like you said, to kind of put over some other people. I mean, I like him. I just don't see a future for him there. I just, I mean, they've proven they just don't have that much invested in him. So, I mean, if he does, that's great. But I could see him putting over like a Theory or, or Champ and then kind of getting part ways, unfortunately. If I'm being honest. No, I think that's going to happen too. I think I look at the situation and it screams Luke Harper a la 20, what was it, 2019 when he asked for his release. Remember that? And then they brought him back for a little while and then he put whoever over and then he left again. Yes. Or then they, they gave him his release. So listen, if he wants out still, I think that's I think that's a good way of doing it. At least they're using him in the meantime. I, I, I don't think his contract is up for another couple of years. So it, it's better than nothing, I would say. It's, it's definitely not a... You know, it's not a great situation, but listen, I've said this before. If they're not going to do anything with him and they they have him under contract, they're not obligated to let him go. They morally should. But at this point, if they're using him, even if it's to put other people over, you know, then I think that's fine. I think at this point, it's it's fine. So we'll see where it goes. TV can showcase a little bit of what you can do. I think it's worse when you're saying you want to release and then you're not on TV at all. Because the last time they saw him, he was a job joker on retribution so i mean if anything you should be happy at least he's on tv like i said maybe he's putting people over but at least you're showcasing what you can do i mean people would have a lot of people would have completely forgotten about him had he not been brought back i'm not saying wwe's a saint in this situation at all but what i'm saying is that i think it helps that he's back on tv before he ultimately leaves at some point because like you said it's not like he's off of tv out of sight out of mind for what two years or whatever and then he automatically returns it's like oh i Completely forgot about this guy. Like, at least he has some buzz. And beating a former champion in the Miz, no less, too. Again, like I said, I thought it was a... It's not like they brought him back to lose to fucking Jackson Riker, who isn't even there anymore. You know what I mean? Yeah, no, I, I, get, I get it. Yeah, yeah, I thought they did a good job by it. So we'll see what the follow-up is on Monday's Raw. But that's all the time we got, Mr. Marceau. Great time, as always, chatting wrestling and football. We'll talk all about the... Uh, we'll recap it, rewind it, take a look back at it next year in WrestleRant Radio for the draft day coverage. 
which is coming up on Thursday. Uh, very fun time doing that. New episodes of the show every single Thursday on WrestleRant.com, WrestleRantRadio.com, iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, TuneIn Radio, iHeartRadio, Google Podcasts, Podbean, Pandora, and Amazon Music. Rate the show, review the show, subscribe to the show. Never miss an episode every single Thursday. Not only are we talking draft day next week, Mr. Marceau, in the recap of what went down, you know, in addition to what we're going to be texting about on Thursday, but also previewing WrestleMania Backlash, which we will be in attendance for. So I'm very much looking forward to next week. Sounds good. Sounds great, Mr. Marceau. Enjoy the draft, brother, and I'll catch your ass down the road. Talk to you soon.